In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Uh, this week, we've got a bit of a, a different one, where one that we've been planning for a few weeks and something that's uh, quite interesting, something a little bit different and something a little bit gruesome as well. So I have to give you a little bit of a warning uh, before we start this episode. Um, there are going to be descriptions of mutilations and death and killings and things like that so if it's not for you turn off now if it is for you carry on listening um you may notice a slight change in the voices or in in the way this is recorded and that is because uh, me and my father haven't actually managed to get this done for ages due to lockdown and covid restrictions and using technology we've decided to try and work out a way of doing it via a phone um, so it might not sound 100% perfect or as good as it does normally. So I hope you'll uh, understand and bear with us with that one. But uh, without further ado, we are going to enter into the dark world of Victorian Britain. And I will introduce my father to talk about possibly the most famous serial killer of all time. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, obviously, uh, like like you said, Dan, we've we've tried to sort this one out for a long time, and uh, it, it's taken a little bit. So, uh, hopefully, all of your listeners are going to remain with us for the whole of the podcast, and they're not going to get uh, too bogged down. I'll try and keep it uh, as simple as possible, but it is a complicated uh, thing that we're going to talk about. Oh yes, the long one, isn't it? <laughs> oh well, it, it yeah, it could be. I could make it a lot longer than it actually is, but we'll, we'll do what we can. <laughs> All right. So, in which case, what are we going to talk about, Dan? We are talking about uh, Jack the Ripper this week. We certainly are. Uh, probably one of the most famous um, serial killers of all time. Yeah, I would say so, and or, or at least the original serial killer, I suppose. Uh, not that it's something people aspire to, but I think he's become... Uh, sort of something that serial killers do look up to in, you know, in recent crimes at least. 
Okay, so I'll give you a little bit of a heads up. I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Victorian London, and I'll keep that as short as possible. Yeah. Then we'll go into the people who uh, he killed, possibly some others as well that he may have killed. And then right at the end, I'll give you a few, not many, but a few people who have been suspected of being the man himself. And there's a surprise in there as well. Hmm. Oh, sounds interesting. Certainly is. Let's get started. Let's get started, uh, shall we? Yeah, dark and dingy days of Victorian Britain. That's right. Well, let's go. Between 1888 and 1891, there were 11 women killed in and around the Whitechapel district of the East End of London. Uh, They were all linked together to a single person. All right. Single police investigation known as the Whitechapel murders. Seven of the victims suffered slashes to the throat. Four cases, the bodies were mutilated after death. And five of the cases occurred between August and November in 1888. They show such marked similarities that they generally agreed to be the work of a single serial killer. Okay. Yeah. The murders that became known as the Whitechapel murders, because that's what they are, uh, took place in a single square mile of impoverished London, 1888. Now, it's a very small area. And although the person responsible was not the first ever serial killer, he was, in fact, the first person or the first one in a major city filled with people who could read and write. And there were plenty of newspapers in London at the time to read. But unfortunately, unlike today, there weren't any laws, so they could print pretty much what they wanted. So any rumours, fake news, anything, that was what they printed. And if it was sell papers, that's what they'd do. And that led to some really dodgy incidents that occurred. So, yeah, I can, I can imagine... Uh... You wouldn't get away with it nowadays, definitely. Oh, you certainly wouldn't, no. And in uh, London in 1888, towards the sort of last quarter of uh, Queen Victoria's reign, but it's not how it was portrayed in the films, Uh, it was uh, dark, dingy, full of narrow, congested streets, and they're linked by even darker alleyways. And by far the worst area of London at the time was the district of Whitechapel. Now... The Whitechapel is uh, in the east end of London, for those of you that aren't uh, familiar with the actual city itself. And at the time, there weren't any lights. There were one or two street lights that were gas-powered, very, very low, uh, give out a very, very low yellow light, and they didn't really illuminate the streets. So come nighttime, it was dark and black. Uh, the hmm. pol- the police of the time were, well, there weren't many. I mean, the police had only been around 40, 50 odd years as as, as a, an actual unit. And there were some areas in London where it was recommended they went around in twos or even fours. And Whitechapel was one of those areas. Uh, well, so it was, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's probably similar to East London nowadays, then, to be honest. It's still got that that reputation of uh, being a bit of a bit of a rough area. Oh yeah. It certainly was a bit of a well, it was a very rough area. Um there um there were lots of robberies, lots of fights. 
and unless the actual person was found in the course of committing it, they went unsolved. Um, there were no forensic CSIs. Fingerprints were still four years away before they were even thought of. And even torches, um, for your American listeners, that would be flashlights. They didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, the police, some police did carry what they call a bullseye lantern, which was a small metal box with an oil light inside. But that was it. You know, it was a very violent area of London at a very, very dark time. But it wasn't super violent in that there were 80 murders. That's eight zero murders in London the year before 1887. But do you know how many were actually in the Whitechapel area? No. Go on, give, no, it a, give it a guess. So out of, out of how many was that? There were 80 in London. The 8-0. Well, I mean, White, and so Whitechapel w- being sort of the square mile-ish. Yeah. You, you'd have thought, and there maybe 10, mm. 5 or 10. You'd have, th- you'd have thought a fair number, wouldn't you? There were none. Yeah. There wasn't a really? single murder in Whitechapel in the year before 1888. Wow. So violent, yes, but uh, that's it. What's the best uh, best way I can describe London, uh, that area of Whitechapel? Um, Harry Potter. Yeah, most people have got an idea of Harry Potter. You know when Harry Potter gets lost in, uh, oh, what's the name of that one? Uh, Nocturne Alley. Yes, yeah. Yeah? He's supposed to go to Diagon Alley. Yeah, Uh, and he came out there. That's pretty much what it was like. In in London at the time. Yeah, that's a good description, actually. Yeah, it's quite, yeah. I thought of that one. I only just thought of that. That's quite good, wasn't it? Yeah, I like that. That's a good way. I like that. Yeah. To see it. Um, there were a fair number of pubs or what public houses, and they were frequented by virtually everybody. There was no closing times, so they could run all the way through the night. Uh, there were loads of unemployed people. In fact, the majority of the East End of London was unemployed. And so there were workhouses. You know what a workhouse was? I do, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a very, very big warehouse type building where people would work for a day in order to get a night, a place to sleep at night. That that was it. You worked for the day and you got a bed for the night. That, that that's, that's all they did. Um, there were also other places called DOS houses or KIP houses. And there were three basic ways of spending the night there. And you could get a bed, you could um, sit on the floor, or you could have a hangover. Do you say sit on the floor? Yeah, sit on the floor. Wow, okay. Yeah. In you couldn't a DOS, even lay. Yeah, in a DOS house, you would uh, you'd uh, pay uh, four pennies, which is around £3.65 a night, You'd be able to sleep in a room with 18 to 20 bunks. You would have that bunk for eight hours, and that would be it. Uh, For one penny, which is about $1.23 nowadays, or 90p, uh, you could spend the whole night sitting on the floor. Right. So you'd have a roof, but that's it. Or for two pennies, uh, £1.80 or $2.50, you could actually have a hangover. Now, hangover isn't exactly what you would expect. No, well, I, I yeah, enlighten people because this is I've I've found out about this. It's amazing. Yeah, a hangover would be um, you were they would string a rope across the room 
at about chest height and you could spend the night resting on the rope. That technically, you're sleeping while standing up. Um, and it's where the term hangover comes from. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. It's such, such a cool little, uh, little random fact of history. Well, yeah. And unfortunately, that was actually the most popular. <laughs> it's not good for your back, though, surely. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't want to try it myself, but obviously no. thousands and thousands of people did. Now, we're going on to the Whitechapel murders. Um, it's unclear exactly how many the murderer killed, but it's generally ex- accepted that he killed five. All right? Yeah. There are five women, because they were all women, they were all prostitutes, and they were all killed in such a way that it was deemed by the police at the time to be one killer. All right? So uh, Makes sense. Although there may have been others beforehand, these were so similar that they, they had to be. Now, I'll give you the names of them, but you're not, I'm not going to expect anybody to remember them. There was Mary Nichols, known as Polly, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. Yeah? Yeah. And they went from August 88 to November 88. So you're only talking three months. Because, you know... I know that's four yeah. months before anybody says anything, but it's the last day of August to early November. Yeah. So, it's, 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 uh, so you took, yeah, sort of three and a bit months. But yeah, it's not not a very long time, is it? Yeah. Given that no murders happened in the area for a whole year beforehand, it's uh, it's quite interesting that. But anyway, as you would expect, no serial killer will start at the top. Yeah. Nope. So they, they they will build up to it. Uh, there were the first um, murder, shall we say, that happened in Whitechapel in 1888 was a lady called Emma Smith, and she was attacked on the 3rd of April, and she later died in hospital. Now, it's unlikely that she was a victim of the Whitechapel murderer because okay. of, she was allegedly attacked by a gang, and she died in hospital. Uh Although later on in the year, you had, on the 7th of August, a lady called Martha Tabram was found at about quarter to five in the morning. And she was on the first floor landing of a lodging house. And they are sort of big houses that had, you paid for your room if you had that sort of money, yeah. She was a prostitute and she'd been stabbed 39 times. And a lot of people wow. think that she may have been the first victim of the Whitechapel murderer. Wow. That's not, I must admit, I've been looked into, into this. I, I had not actually heard of her. So, yeah, I didn't know that. And yeah. 39 seems a little bit excessive. but Well, I certainly um, wanted her dead. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever it was. I think, like you said, I mean, when when you talk about Jack the Ripper, you, you tend to, to think about the the main five. So it's uh, it's interesting to think that there is possibly more. Oh, yeah. There could be up to 20, but we'll only concern ourselves with, with the, the main five in, in this and, and probably name a couple of others on that one. But the first one, the first official victim of the Whitechapel murderer, and I'm calling him the Whitechapel murderer for a reason at this start, at this stage, 
was was a lady called Polly Nichols. All right, uh, she lived in the Whitechapel area of London, and she was a prostitute. She was a drunkard, and she was just one of these unfortunate ladies. And she used to spend her money on gin in the pubs and a doss house. Uh, yep. And um, she uh, she went out on the night of the 30th to the 31st of August. Now, it was cold. It was wet. It was miserable. Uh, for the, a London summer, it was just an appalling day. Uh, there was a fire in the docks, so... Uh, there was uh, a little bit of light shedding around London at the time, but nothing drastic. But she got thrown out of her DOS house at about half past one in the morning. The main reason right. is she, she didn't have the money to pay for it. Now, bearing in mind, it was two pence. You know, it's it's not a lot. Yeah, it wasn't she, exactly expensive, but... She didn't have the money. But she said to the person, as she, as she was leaving, she said to the person in charge of the DOS house, uh, never mind, I'll soon get my DOS money. Uh, see what a jolly bonnet I've now got. Yeah, and she pointed to a little tiny black hat on her head. And off she went. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's a, that, that's quite an interesting fact, which will come out later. Yeah. So yep. about, an hour, uh, about an hour later, about half past two, she met another prostitute called Emily Holland. And Emily said that she'd stopped and had a, a quiet chat with uh, with Polly. And Polly had told her that she'd made her DOS money three times over doing what she did best because she was a prostitute. And yep. she didn't have any left. She'd spent it all on gin and she was drunk. And <laughs> after that conversation, she walked off down to a, a road called Bucks Row. Um, and as she left it, she left with the quote, it won't be long before I'm back. Yeah. So, quarter to... Famous last words. Well, they are. They're the last words that were actually recorded. Uh, she may have said other things, but not, not to anybody yeah. who's... No, not to any other witnesses. So it's about quarter to four in the morning, which is an hour and a quarter later after she'd left Emily Holland. Uh her body was found on Bucks Row. Now, right. it's, uh, Bucks Row was a, a very dark, narrow street with a gas light at one end, so it wasn't lit. And she was found on Bucks Row. Now, the point about that, this was, during that time, police officers had a beat, and they'd walk round it. Yeah. And a police officer, on his beat had walked along Bucks Row half an hour beforehand. Never saw a thing. A police sergeant had also walked along Bucks Row around a similar time, about half an hour before the body was found, and he hadn't seen anything. Now, wow. that's sort of... You've got a time scale there now, because you've gone down the street, there's nobody there. Now, two yeah, men... These, these... So, sorry, go on. No, go on. Yeah, I was going to say these beats weren't miles, miles and miles either, were they? So you know, they'd probably be on that same street, you know, in almost an hour or so. Do you know, uh, a lot I'm less right, than that, actually. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, they would. Uh, the police on that particular beat, um, it's about thirty to thirty-five minutes. And wow, the, the window's even shorter when you look at it like that. And later on, there's another. 
a very similar one that comes up, and I'll tell you a bit about that. That's an even shorter time scale. Wow. Yeah. So two men saw Polly laying in the street. She was laying against a solid wooden gate to a, a stable, a stable yard, and they found her at about 20 to 4 in the morning. Um, she was warm. They thought she was alive. So yeah, they, they, they pulled their skirts down to because, you know, it's, they had long skirts in those days. And if you showed more than sort of your ankles, you, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't polite. It wasn't etiquette. So they pulled the, her skirts down um, and, to make her more comfortable and walked away to find a police officer. Uh, they found a police officer and obviously told him that they'd seen a lady drunk in the street, laying in the street. This police officer went uh, in the direction that they pointed and came across another police officer who had actually found her. Right. All right. He was the one that actually walked down the street half an hour earlier. Uh, they left the body there for some time. They called a doctor and the doctor had came along and he said that she had only been dead for a maximum of 30 minutes. So given oh, wow. the time it took them to get the doctor, the time it took her. So you're very close to two men may have seen or could have seen somebody in that darkened street. They didn't, though. All right. Now, yeah. Polly, um, she her throat had been cut left to right. Uh, she had several deep stab wounds on her lower abdomen. She had bruising around her jaw and five teeth had been knocked out. Wow. All of her injuries had been caused by the same weapon. Now, part of this is she was, when the police officer arrived, so you're talking five minutes difference between the two men leaving Polly Nichols on the floor and not seeing anything untoward other than she looked drunk to a police officer turning up five minutes later, her laying in a pool of blood. It's close. Yeah, that is that is pretty close. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's very sort of uh, up in the air and, you know, you're sort of thinking, well, this, this murderer could have been caught. He was probably still in the area at the time. Now... Because there weren't been any murders in that area of London the previous year, this murder got widely reported because of the mutilations made it even more newsworthy. And the police had absolutely no clues. There's nothing at the scene. It's just the body. So uh, the 1st of September, the Daily Star unofficially linked... Martha Tabram's murder and Polly Nichols' murders together. The lady that had been stabbed okay. 39 times and the other one. No evidence for it whatsoever. Um, but the police didn't. They didn't connect them at all at this time. Um, the police conducted a, a, some interviews around some of the prostitutes that hung around and they were just looking for anybody or anything that they could get a clue for. And they came across a number of prostitutes who'd spoken about uh, an unsavoury character who uh, would uh, try and extort money from the prostitutes, pulling out a knife and saying he'd rip them apart unless they handed over what cash they'd made. 
And they knew him as a person called Leather Apron. So the Star newspaper got hold of this, and wow, you can imagine fake news, absolutely everything else, Leather Apron is responsible for murders. Yeah? Yeah, it's amazing they could just print whatever they felt like, do you know what I mean, without any evidence to back it up. Well, that's right. Now... (laughs) The unfortunate thing is those that were employed in the Whitechapel area were mainly Jewish people. And a lot of the jobs people had leather aprons. There's no plastic. There's no leather apron was, you know, a protective garment that most people who worked actually wore. So, of course, the newspaper puts out the fact Leather Apron is the murderer. And they gave a description. Where they got this description from, nobody knows. But they gave out a description of a Jewish person. Now, This doesn't really narrow it down in that area. It didn't, but boy, did it cause some problems because people then started walking the streets and, and looking for this Leather Apron. Um, and... Uh, I mean, Leather Apron existed. He was a man. He was um, what would you probably call a, a pimp on the lookout is probably the best way of describing him. He, uh, you know, he was, he, he threatened the prostitutes and nicked their money off them. He wasn't a nice character. He uh, became known to police as a gentleman called John Pizer, uh, but he went into hiding <laughs> because he... Um, he knew that everyone was looking for him, so he went. You know, he just disappeared. Uh, he was, in fact, arrested later on, uh, later on in the year, and uh, it turns out he was not anywhere near any of the murders that occurred. So he had an alibi for them all. But uh, that's uh, that was John Pizer. So you've got this now. Is you're into a, a, a part of the sort of psyche of London that everybody is on edge. Everybody's wondering what's going on and and everybody's sort of there's been a murder and there might be two so you we move up until sort of the 8th of september now it's the following week from polly nichols's murder and annie chapman was 46 years old she was a middle-class lady that had fallen on hard times um she'd been married and she'd separated from her husband, but he'd continued to pay her some money for a week until he died in 86. And then she'd had to resort to prostitution to make ends meet. So Annie wasn't the type of person that you'd normally expect to be a prostitute. She was, you know, a little bit sort of up, uh, a little bit classier than the real bottom end of uh, of the uh, the people that did that kind of work. Now, on the morning of the 8th of September, about half past one in the morning, Annie, who had a lodging house, she went off to earn some money again for the room. And she'd obviously been working. About half past five in the morning, another lady, another prostitute, saw Annie Chapman with a man. And she was standing against the shutters of of a building called uh well it was number 29 Hanbury Street in London obviously in right. in in Whitechapel and she hears the man turn around and say 
will you? And he replies, yes. So, and this uh, Elizabeth Long, the lady that sees him, she's certain of the time that this happened because she heard the the brewery clock on Brick Lane strike the half hour. So she heard okay. that. She turned into the street and she sees these two. Now, a few months, a few minutes after uh, Elizabeth Long had seen uh, Annie, a young carpenter living at number 27 Hanbury Street comes out of his house. Say it's a house, it's more of a hovel. It's just a, a couple of rooms with a back door. Now, he comes out and comes down some steps into his yard. His yard is very small. It's about 12 foot square. There is a toilet in the corner of the yard. Small building with a toilet in it. He goes into his garden or into his yard to the toilet and goes back. Right? Yeah. There is a five foot fence which separates number 27 and number 29. He, okay. he hears some voices from the other side of the fence. Now, the only word he can make out is the, a woman saying no. And then he hears something falling against a fence. He right. doesn't, doesn't realise the significance of this. He doesn't, you know, he does his business, goes back indoors. Nope. Six o'clock in the morning. Now, bearing us half an hour later... The body of Annie Chapman is found in the yard at number 29 Hanbury Street. Her throat cut from left to right, but it's cut so deep that the bones of her spine at the front of the spine actually had cut marks on it. Wow. She had been disemboweled, which means everything below the rib cage had been torn open. Uh, her stomach had been placed on her left shoulder and part of the skin of her stomach area and her small intestines had been removed and placed over her right shoulder. Wow. Part of her uterus and bladder were missing. Missing? So he actually took... Missing. Taken oh, away. Right. Taken away. Okay. Yeah. Trophies. Now, you're in London at that time, and you're a newspaper reporter. You are going to love this little bit. Because yeah. laying in the corner under a tap at 29 Hanbury Street, the scene of the murder, a few feet from Annie's body, a leather apron. Let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> You've got a leather apron, and everybody is... Wow, it's a leather apron. Now, they they printed this. <laughs> and boy, did it cause some problems. It caused vigilante groups to spring up patrolling the streets. They were all looking for anybody, anyone that had a Jewish um, look to them. They were, they were accosted. Some were beaten up. Anybody that had a leather apron that was out in the early hours of the morning, they were beaten up. It was a real, real problem. And you only had two murders. 
Now, the police had no evidence whatsoever identifying this murderer either. Um, they even looked into something. That, yeah, this is how um, how desperate the police were. They looked at something called seared retina evidence. Yeah, uh, we okay. would we would find this absolutely ridiculous now. But at the time, they thought that it was p- potential. Um, they photographed the eyes of Annie Chapman, believing that they would retain the image of the last thing she saw. <laughs> See that? It sounds ridiculous, but you know, they had nothing to go on, did they? Absolutely nothing. They had absolutely nothing. I mean, and and since the murders had started, the 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 police and the newspapers had had thousands and well, hundreds of thousands of letters from people all over the country um, saying that they were the murderer. Saying they were the murderer. Yeah, they had people admitting that they were the murderer. Some of them wanted infamy. Some of them wanted other things. But uh, they, they had loads, and it was just unbelievable. You couldn't get the, you couldn't tell whether one was right or one wasn't. Good deal. Now, about ooh, just under three weeks later, the Central News Agency received a letter written in red ink. Now it was one of hundreds, but it was signed okay. Jack. Now Jack was probably the most common name in London at that time, so. You know, it's where you get Jack Tar and uh, Jack the Lad and Jack O' Lanterns. All of those, all of those come from that sort of era. Yeah, because Jack yeah. was the, the the name that people had. Now, this letter was called was uh, addressed, "Dear Boss," but it was signed Jack the Ripper. Now, until that letter had arrived. The the Whitechapel murderer was called the Whitechapel murderer, leather apron, the red fiend. Uh, but uh, this letter appeared, was given to the Central News Agency. It a, was a, a group of newspapers. They kept it. Yeah, they, it was uh, quite a catchy name. <laughs> yeah, they kept they kept the letter. They didn't pass it on or do anything. Now I'm going to read you exactly what this letter says all right it's written in english old victorian english it's not written and spelt very well so i will read it as they uh, as it is written so forgive yeah. me for this but it says okay. dear boss i keep on hearing the police have caught me but they won't fix me just yet I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about Leather Aitman gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them until I get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How they can catch me now. I love my work and I want to start again. You'll soon hear from me with my funny little games. I've saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back until I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife so sharp. I want to get to work right away. If I can, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Hmm. That letter is still in existence. 
It still exists. It still exists. It's it's in a, it's in a museum in London. That's cool. That's that's on our to do list, Dad. After lockdown, I want to see that letter. <laughs> well, there was a PS at the bottom of the letter. Oh yeah. It says, "Don't mind." me giving the trade name p.s wasn't good enough to post this before i got all the red ink off my hands curse no luck yet they say i'm a doctor now ha ha <laughs> hmm. so it was initially thought to be a hoax letter until three days later the 30th of september and this is where jack the ripper's story gets really really good if it hasn't got good before yeah okay go on Third victim. Third victim. 30th of September, 44-year-old Elizabeth Stride. One o'clock in the morning, a uh, gentleman by the name of Louis Dimischultz, a salesman of jewellery, he entered a yard called Duffield's Yard. Now, basically, it was nothing much more than what the previous one was in Hanbury Street, but it was a yard where he kept his horse and pony. He's turned into the yard. He's opened the gates. He's turned into the yards. It's pitch black. The pony sheared up, refused to enter the yard. So he gets down. He thinks there's something in the way, but he can't see. It's utterly pitch black. There's no lights whatsoever. So he's gone in the yard, probing in front of him with a whip. He comes across a body. He thought either asleep or drunk. So he turns and he goes over the road to an international working men's club uh, to get some help in waking this woman up and shifting her out of his yard. Him and two others come back and they discover a lady that was dead. They'd found Elizabeth Stride, Liz. Her throat had been cut. There were no other injuries. And there's your surprise. Okay. Now, police believe that the gentleman's approach had been heard by the murderer before he could carry out any of the mutilations that he was going to be renowned for. And this is probably Makes the sense. closest that Jack the Ripper ever came to being caught. Hmm. Now, Liz had been seen outside the Bricklayer's Arms public house with a man. And... This is only a short distance from Duffield's yard. And this was only, well, it was quarter to one in the morning. So you're looking 15 minutes before she, from when she was seen with a man close to Duffield's yard. Right. And she's, uh, she's found 15 minutes later. So the chances are the man she was with was the one was... Very, very possibly. Now, she is seen by a gentleman called Israel Swartz, and he was—he uh, sees her arguing with a man who actually throws her to the ground. Now, him, thinking right. it's a domestic, doesn't want to get involved. The man looks up at uh, Israel and shouts the word Lipsky at him. Now, Lipsky was an insulting word aimed at Jews in London in the air in the time, and the um, the gentleman, Mister Schwartz, saw a second man at the other end of the street. Now, given that it was anti-Semitic area and everybody was out to get anybody that looked like a Jew, Mister Schwartz ran. Okay, so Makes he's sense. he's he's legged it. 
you've now got man with possibly a domestic and a man at the end of the street. Now, unlike the others, Liz Stride, her throat was cut the opposite way, right to left. Okay. Right. So you've now got a murder. So all the police are like, wow, another one. Boomf, let's go. They all go to that yard. You've now got a crime scene. You can imagine everything's going on because they've already had, you know, two two murders. This one was the one that there's a this is a third one and they're like they don't know what, what they're doing or anything. At the same time on the same night, so we're talking one o'clock in the morning, a lady, forty six year old lady called Catherine Eddowes was kicked out of a police station. She had been arrested for being drunk and she left Bishopsgate Police Station at one o'clock in the morning, the same time as Elizabeth Stride was found. Right. She walks towards Mitre Square. Now, Mitre Square wouldn't have taken her very long, about eight minutes. Unfortunately, okay. it looks like Jack the Ripper was also walking towards Mitre Square. And if he'd have and let, if he left yeah. Elizabeth Stride, his half a mile walk would be take between ten and fifteen minutes. Mm. Right. So, half past one in the morning, PC Watkins of the city police walked through Mitre Square. And it's half past one. Right. He would return between twelve and fourteen minutes later. Hmm. the square was empty when he walked through it. Five minutes later, so we're talking 25 to 2, because the timings are quite uh, quite important with this one. Yeah. Three Jewish men walked through Mitre Square. Um, I can give you their names if you want. It was Harry Harris, Joseph Levy, and uh, Joseph Lodine. But uh, they saw a man and a woman talking quietly in the corner of Mitre Square. Now, bearing in mind, the police officer had walked through five minutes earlier and there was no one there. Right. One of these men, Joseph, he described the man as five foot nine, medium build, fair complexion, small moustache, wearing a red handkerchief, a loose fitting jacket and a grey cap. That's pretty good description. It's not a bad description. They all left the square. Yeah, they had nothing to worry about. No, in, yeah. no, nothing of interest. You're probably looking at that being the description of Jack the Ripper. Because within 10 minutes, PC Watkins walked back into Mitre Square and saw Catherine Eddowes lying in a pool of blood. Mm. Her, her clothes had been thrown up above her waist. She was heavily mutilated. Her throat had been cut. Her intestines removed and placed over her shoulder. Her face had been cut up. A piece of her apron was missing. Um, there were V-shaped marks under her eyelids. She was, uh, part of her nose was cut off. There was a lot done to this poor lady. In 10 minutes? In 10 minutes. This wasn't in think, the Metropolitan Police area. Do you think this is, uh, this killing, on the basis that the the... The previous one, obviously, he hadn't managed to do what he wanted to do due to noise or whatever. Do you think this might have been why 
this was done in such a frenzy because obviously he hadn't managed to fulfil what he wanted to. Yeah, I think that was the consensus of opinion at the time. It became known as the double event because two murders in one night, two murders inside an hour. Inside an hour. Now, yeah, pretty bad. Mitre Square is just inside the city of London's jurisdiction. So it's not the oh, okay. Metropolitan Police's area. Right, okay. So now you're bringing another police force into that. Correct. For, for the Americans that listen to this, it's like being over the border. Yeah, although it's a very small border and, you know, the two forces work well together, but that's it. The murderer got away. There were detectives around. There were plainclothes officers around. There were other police officers walking concentric, concentric, concentric beats. And the murderer yeah. was not seen. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I also didn't know that the City of London police were involved, you know. But this causes a problem uh, a couple of hours later, actually. Because... Just before three o'clock, about 500 yards away from Mitre Square, in the Metropolitan Police area, a police officer was walking his beat and saw a piece of torn apron on the ground in a doorway. It was later found to have come from Catherine Eddowes, and it had handprints in blood on it and where somebody had obviously tried to wipe a knife. And that's in metropolitan area. In the metropolitan police area. And directly above a doorway next to where this piece of apron was found was a message written in chalk. Okay. (laughs) The Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. Wow. I didn't realise how (laughs) anti-Semitic... And they they spelt Jews... J-U-W-E-S, which is an old English spelling. Now, the police at this time had a a serious problem because the police officers that were there, they wanted this recorded. And so they decided they were going to get it recorded. The city of police came down because it was connected to their murder. They looked at it and they wanted it recorded. But because it was in the Metropolitan Police area... It was in a very large Jewish community <clears throat> and it was over the entrance to a market that was due to start in an hour or so's time. The commissioner of police, of the Metropolitan Police, came down. So you've got the big boss. He comes down and he goes, get rid of it. Wipe it off. It will cause carnage with people who will suddenly start attacking Jewish people. I want that removed. They, the police from city, the city police argued they wanted a photograph of it. There was no flash photography, so they'd have to wait till daylight. The Metropolitan Police weren't prepared to do that, and so it was washed off. Right, okay. Yeah. So they're destroying evidence. Technically, yeah. But you can see why they did it because they didn't want a full-scale riot. Now, one of the things that happened to Catherine Eddowes were her ears had been cut. Her earlobes had been cut off. Which is exactly what he said in the letter. 
And when that came to notice, the news agency gave the letter to the police. Oh, so the police didn't have the letter prior to that? Nope, the police didn't get it until Catherine Eddowes, the fourth official victim, was murdered. Do you not think that would be something the police actually needed? They were getting hundreds of them. Nobody knew it was anything to, to actually be anything of. You know, they didn't think anything of it. As far, no, as, as, far as they were concerned, it was just another idiotic letter that was sent. Now, like I said earlier, there were lots of little vigilante committees and lots of little vigilante groups that, that uh, appeared during the time. But uh, 16th of October... There was a letter sent to the biggest vigilante committee uh, to a gentleman called uh, George Lusk. And this letter was addressed from hell. Oh, right. It contained half a kidney. Okay. Catherine Eddowes had her kidneys removed. Hmm. The letter said he took it from one victim and he'd sent it to the to, to them. Now, that actually did go to the police. Um, the consensus of opinion from the police uh, was that this person may have um, some medical knowledge. They went for everybody. They interviewed medical students. They interviewed people in psychiatric homes. They interviewed anybody that could walk the streets covered in blood at that time of at that time of night and believe it or not there could be loads you'd be surprised yeah, yeah i can imagine it's it's weird to think that obviously nowadays you, you wouldn't see that many people at that time in the morning but yeah well anyway october came and went there was no murders and everybody started to relax everybody started to think yeah this is the end of it it's all finished it's it's done yeah. 9th of November. Yeah. yeah. My birthday. Your <laughs> birthday. Mary Kelly. She had a ground floor room at number three, 13 Miller's Court. And she lived there with her partner, Joseph Barnett. And a few days before the, th- uh, the 9th of November, they'd had a bit of a disagreement because Mary kept allowing prostitutes to stay in overnight when, as and when, you know, because she was friends with them and she was one as well. Mary was there on her own. She'd been heard singing during the night of the 8th and 9th by a number of the neighbours, and she was last seen in the vicinity of Miller's Court at about quarter to three in the morning with, you guessed it, a Jewish-looking man. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, Mary Kelly was unfortunately behind with her rent, so her landlord sent a gentleman called Thomas Bayer to her address at about quarter to 11 in the morning uh, to get the rent. He couldn't get an answer from the door, so he looked through a broken window, and there he saw the body of Mary Kelly. Uh, There wasn't much left of her. In fact... Yeah, this was the one that he... uh, The more gruesome than any of them wasn't it yeah um he'd cut he'd, he'd cut open her insides they'd been spread all over the room all the skin and muscles had been removed from the upper leg her face was unrecognizable as human she was just on the bed 
And Mary Kelly was the last official victim that everyone agrees on of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. He was never caught. Jack the Ripper was never, ever caught. Um, yeah, to this day, it's still was it still a cold case now, isn't it? It certainly is. It's still there are people who uh, amateur people deal with it, look for them. They're called Ripperologists, and and some of them include other murders. Now that was Mary Kelly was the last of the five, the five that are definitely Jack the Ripper. There were others that may have been. They weren't as badly mutilated, or they were in different areas, or whatever. Um, you've got uh, Annie Farmer, twentieth of November; Rose Milet, twentieth of December, and into eighteen eighty nine. Elizabeth Jackson, Alice Mackenzie, Francis Cole, and Carrie Brown, eighteen ninety one. Potentially twenty plus victims, but we will come. But there are the five. Now, yeah. serial killers don't stop killing. There's only the only reason a serial killer stops is because they're unable to carry on. Be it they're put in prison or they they're die. Dead. That's the yeah. only two reasons. Serial killers just don't stop. Now, Jack the Ripper was so close to getting caught. Um, Annie Chapman was seen with... Uh, Long Liz saw Annie Chapman with a man, most likely to be the Ripper. The gentleman at 27, Albert, he hears two people the other side of the fence separating 29 and 27 Hanbury Street. He probably heard the murder of Annie taking place. Liz Stride mm-hmm. was seen by uh, Israel Swartz with a man most likely to be the Ripper 15 minutes before she was discovered. The man with the pony and trap dis- must have disturbed the Ripper in the act of murdering Liz and he, the Ripper got away when he went to get help. Catherine Eddowes, seen by three men in Mitre Square. She was with a man, most likely the Ripper, just before she was found murdered. The Ripper must have walked past a number of police officers leaving Mitre Square. Obviously, we've we've covered the chalk that was erased. Mary Kelly was seen with a man who gave her a red handkerchief on the night of her murder. You know, Mm. um, serial killers... You know, a lot of them like to leave clues. We think, a lot of people think, Jack the Ripper was no different. There were items that each of these victims, these five victims had, that weren't actually theirs. Mary Nichols had a new bonnet. Where'd she get it from? Did he meet her before they, uh, before the actual really? murder, earlier in the day? Annie yeah, that's strange. Annie Chapman had no money. She was looking. She was looking to earn money. She had two farthings on her. It's not a lot of money. It's about three quarters of a cent nowadays. But it's money. Elizabeth Stride, the uh, unmutilated lady, she had a fresh flower laying next to her. Catherine Eddowes, Mitre Square, a red leather cigarette case that didn't belong to anybody, was with her. And Mary Ooh. Kelly was seen handed a red handkerchief by the man just before the murder. But it was never found. It could have been burnt in the grate with other items of clothing. But who knows? So did Jack the Ripper leave anything behind? Was he taunting the police? He certainly was with the two letters. Yeah. 
That's, yeah. yeah, that's weird. I, I didn't know that. I, I knew, like I said, I know the story, but I didn't know that he'd left bits and clues and things like that. It's uh, quite strange. Right. Shall I give you a couple of the suspects? Potential yeah, suspects. Yeah, this is, this is, this is where we're, we're coming. We're coming to the end of this now. So those of you that have stayed with us, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you have. Um, Prince Albert, Duke of Clarence. Yeah, he was suspected by some people. Not a chance in hell. He was yeah. nowhere. He was nowhere in London at any time during the during the murders. No, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? With it being a royal. Yeah. Uh, a bloke called Carl. Now I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I presume it's pronounced Feigenbaum. Yeah, a 54 year old German merchant sailor known to be a psychopath, confessed later on to mutilating women. He was working on ships that had been docked in Whitechapel docks. Now records prove that he was working Ooh. in Whitechapel on every single date of the five Ripper murders in London. He emigrated to America around 1890 and he was convicted there of murdering a lady called Juliana Hoffman and he was sent to the electric chair for that crime. And experts have stated that there were striking similarities between her murder and Jack the Ripper's. In fact, his own lawyer believed that uh, Fagenbaum was Jack the Ripper. Mm. But then the letter was written in perfect English, and for a German at that time, yeah. probably didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Francis Craig, Mary Kelly's husband, the last victim. He was working as a reporter at the time of the murders. He was covering the police at the courts and the inquests on the Whitechapel murders. He was suffering from a mental illness, and he lived in the locality and some believe that he became aware that his wife was a prostitute and planned to kill her, and the other murders were just a build-up to it. Potential? Mm, yeah. Okay, so who would be able to wander around London in the early hours of the morning, covered in blood? A butcher? There's no refrigeration? Yeah. yeah. How about... Yeah, butcher. Doctor? Doctor, yeah. Surgeon? Anyone yeah. like that? How about Mrs. Mary Piercy? Mrs. Mrs. Jill the Ooh. Ripper. She was a midwife convicted of murder after stabbing a woman and child to death the following year. She was executed in December 1890 and she had anatomical knowledge. She had the ability to move around unnoticed because she'd be covered in blood under normal circumstances and everybody was looking for a man. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, never, I've never heard of a female suspect before, so that's, nah. a, that's a new one. Okay. Now, the latest suspect, and this came out tail end of last year, gentleman called Charles Cross. Um, he was one of the men that discovered Polly Nichols, the first victim. Yep. He was there, apparently, before the second person came along. He worked as a meat delivery man, and his walk to work took him down and past all five 
murder sites. He wore a leather apron and he always started to work before dawn so he would be walking past those areas at the relevant times. Mm. Yeah. And the last three. The last three are the ones that the police at the time thought were the... um, The most likely. The most likely. A gentleman called Montague drew it. He had a history of mental illness. He matched the descriptions of the men uh, seen with some of the victims, and he was found drowned in the Thames in December 88. He was the main police suspect at the time. Okay, yeah, he did. He did. He had the tash and everything, and he sort of fitted the yeah the the description pretty well. Uh, a gentleman called Aaron Kosminski, Polish Jew. Now he hated he, women. He had strong he homicidal bar, tendencies. He lived in the Whitechapel area. He was committed to a lunatic asylum in 18, 19, 1889, So six months after, he lived until nineteen nineteen. And in 2014, a shawl believed to belong to Catherine Eddowes was checked for mitochondrial DNA. It had a 92% match to Eddowes' relations and a 100% match to Kosminski. However, there are issues with contamination over the last 100 years because it's been put in a pile with a lot of other evidence from the Jack the Ripper case. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I must admit, from... From where I, uh, when I looked into this, um, Kosminski stood out to me as possibly one of the best suspects for it. Mm. I mean, yeah, he, uh, funnily enough, he's, uh, the lunatic asylum he was uh, sent to is uh, about uh, two miles up the road from where I live. It's the uh, Coney Hatch. Coney Hatch, Lunatic Asylum. Now, the last one, and this will impress some of your listeners, a bloke called Francis Tumblety, an American American Civil War Union Army surgeon. He hated women. He really hated prostitutes. He had a collection of women's reproduction organs in glass jars. Police arrested him on suspicion of the murders whilst he was in London. They could not find any evidence to charge him, so they charged him with homosexual acts. He was bailed to court. He never attended. He escaped to America on the 20th of November, 1888. And believe it or not, the London police sent an officer to New York to find him without success. He was in New York at the time of Carrie Brown's murder in 1891, which is one of those that I listed right at the end. Who was Jack the Ripper? Mm. He'll leave you to decide that one, but my opinion would be Kosminski. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved... See, to me, I, we, we spoke about this before, and, and to me, I, I love the fact that it could have been Tumble Tea. But his, if anybody gets a chance to have a look at the pictures of Tumble Tea, his most obvious feature is he has possibly one of the biggest moustaches you've ever seen in your life. And that's something that anybody, you know, there's potential of a few people who have said, you know, given descriptions and some very good descriptions that the police could help with that 
style of moustache would have been, you know, the, the most obvious thing anybody would see on someone's face. Um, oh, yeah. And that that wasn't given in any description to the police. So I, I think as much as it's, uh, mm. I, I think it would be a brilliant one for it to have been, um, you know, someone who just come over here and then just disappeared. And I think for the American listeners, I think that would be, I think it'd be quite, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a claim to fame to say that possibly the most famous serial killer of all time wasn't even from the country he was from. Um, I think that would have been, I don't know if it's classed as a claim to fame, but I think that would be quite cool to, to think he was American. Yeah. I mean, how long does it take to grow a moustache? You know. Well, I've been growing a beard for six years, and it's yeah. uh So, you know, it's one of those things. You could have shaved it off. He could have had a smaller moustache, and then two years yeah. later been had the, the picture drawn of him when he was in. We just don't know. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you though. My money's on Kosminski. I think uh, it fits the bill, um, and the fact that, like you said, a serial killer only really stops when they get caught or when they're they're forced to stop. Um, and being sent to a lunatic asylum would explain that Certainly they stopped. Would. But yeah. there you go. There's your story yeah. of Jack the Ripper. Brilliant, awesome story. Absolutely, I've I've done. I, I did my own research on this um, to to do it, and then when you said you wanted to do this one, I thought, yeah, no, I'll, I'll you know, I'm quite happy for this because it's uh, you've done the tour, haven't you, in London? And I thought, yeah, you're you're going to know a little bit more than I do, and this is uh, I, I love having you on the show, and and I know a lot of my listeners really enjoy having you on the show. So, yeah, do, do you want to just just quickly, do you want to just give us a little uh, a little thing about the tour because I'm I'm sure. It's uh, with lockdown ending soon. I'm sure there will be people either in London or people wanting to come to London and things like this would, you know, if you're interested, what what was it like? The tour itself, um, um, there are a number of tours that, um, that go around London, uh, Jack the Ripper tours. They all start in the same place. They're easy to get to. It's a, it starts outside a tube station, Whitechapel Tube. And what they will do is they will take you through the streets of London where these murders happened. Now, obviously, unfortunately, none of these streets are as they were in the Victorian times, but you're in the area. You can see how close these murders were together, and some of the buildings are still there. Mitre Square, although it now has different buildings around it, is still there. And the cobbles that are on the floor in Mitre Square are the same ones that Catherine Eddowes was laying on. It's a very, very good tour. It lasts about two hours. It's a walking tour. If you're ever in London, look them up because they are worth going on. Yeah, it's something uh, I think I'd I'd quite enjoy. It's not something I've ever got round to doing. And obviously now not living in London... Um, it's it's something that I don't think I'm going to get a chance to do until I I uh, spend a few hours, well, a few days back at, back in, in the city. So yeah. they're normally um, done in, in in an evening, and they, you walk round, and they will point out all the things, and they will go through the story just like I have. Uh, it takes about yeah. two hours to, for the whole story and everything. It's worth it. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I think I'll definitely get that a go at, at some point. So. 
yeah, I mean, like I say, we we uh, we love having you on the show, and it's uh, it's always good to to do something a little bit different. And and I think it's quite nice to do something like this. So I suppose it's not necessarily a nice subject, but it's it's something that's extremely famous and extremely well known all around the world, um, but not necessarily something people know the ins and outs of. So I think it's uh, a very interesting show. Um, and I know you've you've mentioned it before, um, you know, with with a couple of the episodes. If you have got any feedback from from episodes, uh, let me know. Drop me and drop me a message, um, especially shows like this, because obviously um, I get a lot of feedback. I love this show and love that show, and and so on and so forth. And and I, I love to relay it to to you, Dad, and let you know what what people have said about the show. So you know, if you've got any any feedback on it or anything you want to let us know, just drop us a message. Uh, you know, you've got us, uh, you will all have us on Facebook. I'm, I'm assuming, um, if you haven't got us on Facebook, get over there. It's this week in history. Just type it in. It comes up, um, join the group. Uh, we've got an email address, which is twihpod at gmail.com. And yeah, just get in touch. Let us know what you thought of the episode and what, what you're thinking of the show so far. But, yeah, other than that, thank you for, for coming on again. No problem. I'll just wait for the next one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we can I'm sure we can think of a I know we've had a, a few discussions about some of them. Um I think we might be uh, going for something a little bit further west and a little bit more American for the next one. Yeah, highly possible. Yeah, I think uh, I think we've we've had a we've had a bit of a chat and uh, that'll be something for you guys to look forward to. So yeah. Thank you for, for coming on again, Dad. No problem. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto. They offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know. The average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds. Something you probably do know. Your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse. Something you probably don't know. A falling treehouse would take out your whole fence. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit GEICO.com local today. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. 
In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary, limited time offer, terms apply.